0: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. If you need proof that rules about usage and grammar change over time, just take a look at some of the books by language mavens from the late 19th century. Writers like Richard Grant White, who was Mm -hmm. a prominent Shakespearean scholar, and another guy named C.W. Bardeen, who wrote a book called Verbal Pitfalls, a manual of 1,500 words commonly misused. Mm -hmm. For example, one of the things that stopped me in my tracks when I was reading is that both of those writers disdained the term campaign when you're talking about a presidential campaign. Why? Because it's appropriating military language. They're saying that that the word that you should use is contest rather than campaign because that's associated with the military. Uh, White wrote that using campaign in that way is inflamed newspaper English masquerading as eloquence. And then he went on and said- (laughs) I do like that. I know, right?
0: Even though I don't agree with the rule, I do like that.
1: Yeah, he writes, is it not time that we had done with this nauseous talk about campaigns and standard-bearers and glorious victories and all the bloated, army-bumming bombast, an election has no manner of likeness to a campaign or a battle. It is a mere comparison. Oh, boy. Isn't that great? And Bardeen says that its use is indefensible.
0: That's super interesting, but it kind of underscores the problem with a lot of this language of mavenry, which is that... 99 times out of 100, it is someone passing off their personal prejudices and preferences as some kind of universal rule. And Richard Grant White, he did damage for a long time. Many of his uh, rules, you can hear the air quotes, I hope, many of his rules were borrowed into many other books and taught by teachers. And even today, show up in a variety of different places in the training of teachers. Uh And it's a a problem. He he didn't like it. Therefore, it's a rule. And somehow he got respectful. For it, and they're, it's just his own opinion.
1: I know. It's kind of morbidly fascinating to read these manuals yeah. from back then. And, and I'm going to share some examples no, uh, later in the show because they're kind of unintentionally funny at this point. Right. Today's peeve, you know, is right, tomorrow's, tomorrow's standard. Yeah, Exactly.
0: 877-929-9673, email words at waywardradio.org, talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D, and pop into our Facebook group where there are 5,000 or more lively Facebook fans just like you. Hello, you have A Way With Words.
2: Hi, this is Rose. I'm calling from York, Pennsylvania.
0: Hi, Rose. How you doing? Hey, Rose.
2: Well, I was wondering, um, the other day I was folding my laundry and uh, the zipper fly was down, and I remembered when I was a kid growing up, people would say X, Y, Z, sort of, but not exactly short for examine your zipper. But my parents were not from the area. I grew up in uh, South Central Pennsylvania, but my dad was from Northern Pennsylvania and my mom was from Wisconsin. So I wasn't sure how local that expression was or how widespread.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a handy one, isn't it? X, Y, Z, to subtly tell somebody that their (laughs) zipper is down? Yeah.
3: Or gleefully tell people if
1: you're a child. (laughs) Yeah, that fits pretty well with what we know about the expression examine your zipper or X, Y, Z, because it is um, largely in the Northeast. It's kind of spread all over the country, but mostly in the Northeast. And uh, it's been around since the 1960s or so.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. We we used it in the 1970s in Missouri for sure. I remember it. X, Y, Z, P, D, Q was the longer form of it, right? (laughs) Pretty
1: darn quick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have you heard any other expressions like that? For the same thing, Rose.
2: Well, I actually I asked some friends on Facebook about it, and they said the one that Grant just said about uh, XYZ PDQ, ah. which, but I don't remember that one from uh-huh. growing up. Just the shorter one.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, I have a long list of those here. Like it's one o'clock at the Button Factory. What? <laughs> <laughs> or are you advertising? Or I like this one. What do birds do? Fly. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> your cuckoo clock is working? The barn
0: door is open is a common one. Yes,
1: the oh, barn yeah, door is open. I've heard that one. You have? Okay. Mm. Okay. Or um, some people say there's a dime on the counter. What? Yeah. Hmm. I don't think And then you're that supposed one. to look down and see the dime. Oh, you look dime. down at the oh. counter yeah. and then you'll hopefully catch your zipper. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, XYZ is much more widespread than all of those. Well, thanks, Rose. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank T- you. Take care. Bye-bye. Right.
2: You too. Bye.
0: Did you know that in British English they don't say fly? They say flies. Your flies are open. Oh, really? Yeah. Your
1: flies it's one of those interesting are, oh, in- differences. That for, is. can't
0: really fathom why, but...
1: And do they say X, Y, Z?
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't even know if they have that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Call us with your stories about language. A77-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words.
4: Hi, Grant. Hi, Martha. This is Heath Blue calling from Palmer, Massachusetts. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing well. How are you doing, Heath?
4: I am doing wonderful, thank you. Recently, I had uh, somebody send me a link on Facebook, and it was um, Stephen Colbert performing uh, Blister in the Sun with the Violent Femmes. And um, now I'm a product of the 80s and the 90s. You know, I'm 40 years old. So I was left with this feeling of, uh, of nostalgia for, for the Violent Femmes, but also this feeling of, of love that I have for Stephen Colbert. Uh-huh. And I was wondering if there's any kind of word that describes those two feelings together. Because I've, I've experienced it several times, and it's not one or the other distinctly by themselves. It, it, it's, it, it's a feeling all its own. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. So
0: nostalgia plus what?
4: Plus the feeling of something new that you love, like when an artist takes something old and and puts their own twist on it. And mm-hmm. you love the old thing that they put the twist on, but you also love the new artists. Mm-hmm. And,
1: Heath, you said you'd experienced this several times. Do you have other examples, I mean, besides Stephen Colbert? And...
4: it's Like um, a Monet painting that gets redone by a digital artist.
1: This is a tough one. I've never heard of a word like that that I can think of? I'm thinking of all my Greek and Latin w- roots, juvenile or ju- yeah. Um, you I was know, thinking of old. the Italian
0: of uh, uh, nuovo vecchio, maybe because that sounds oh. that sounds fancy, <laughs> right? I don't know. If I like
1: that very much.
0: Uh, new old together, nuovo vecchio sounds uh, classy. Uh, it sure kind does. Of fake, <laughs> fake elegance.
1: <laughs> I like that well, very it
4: much. Sounds, it sounds a lot better than the one thing I came up with, which was nostalgia.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's okay. That's pretty good. Um, nostalgia. You know, there's, there's, I like that. I do like that.
0: There's also notions of uh, a retro feeling here. So you might do retro There's a short list somewhere, I don't remember where I saw it, of words coined from the nostalgia root, the mm. false root of nostalgia.
1: Yeah, yeah. The algae in nostalgia is pain, like an analgesic yeah, is but, something that but takes away people pain. People take nostalgia and right. put all
0: kinds of prefixes on it because they don't really right. understand the. Yeah, that's that interesting. Word.
1: Yeah, I like nostalgia, actually.
0: That's the best we can do. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if other listeners come up with their own words for that feeling of nostalgia mixed with the enjoyment of something new.
1: Exactly. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah, sure. your help.
0: Thank you for your call.
1: Thanks a lot. Bye bye.
4: All right. Bye bye.
1: Do you have a better word for Heath? Let us know, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Am I the only person who didn't know until last week what a bollard is? Do you know what a bollard mm, is? Yeah,
0: these are like these <laughs> short concrete pylons that... <laughs> kind of yeah. block cars from going on the sidewalk or yeah. they protect the entry to federal buildings or they're actually used in the seashore to wrap uh, ropes and yes. cables and things around
1: yes those are called bollards how did I live all these years without knowing that it
0: is a vast language you need to forgive yeah. yourself uh,
1: thank you grant <laughs> thank you very much I was driving with a friend of mine to uh, to dinner at someone's house and and we called the host as we got close yeah. the passenger did and and said where should we park and she said oh park by the bollard and then my passenger said said, okay, and... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how uh, come you two know this who, who word and I don't? Yeah, <laughs> what's a what's a bollard? But but yeah, it, it comes from an, a Middle English word mm-hmm. that means the trunk of a tree. The trunk of a tree. Yeah, I didn't know that part. The ballard, nice. bollard, b o l l a r d. Bollard. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't that cool? How you can go for decades mm-hmm. in your life and all of a sudden you realize this thing that most other people know mm-hmm. that you don't know.
0: Yeah. You look around and everything probably has a name to someone, but just not to you. I know it has like a the name. like the parts heaven. of a computer monitor, all the <laughs> trade terms. For that crazy stuff, oh. Bezel, for example, B E Z E
1: L. That's on. Is it the edge?
0: Yeah, it's more yeah. or less the edge. Yeah. Okay. Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Email words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
5: Hi, uh, this is Angelina. I'm calling from uh, Western Montana. and big sky. Hi, Angelina. Welcome to you? the
0: show. How can we help?
5: Um, Well, I was just curious. See, I grew up in Dallas. I spent a lot of time in uh, northwest Arkansas. And, um, you know, growing up, uh, we all used y'all. I've heard you guys and that kind of thing. But in Arkansas, I lived in a little town of Population 99 in the mountains. um, And I made friends with my neighbors there. And most of them were older people that have been there their whole lives. And I would hear them say, you and it was the people in your family, the people in your house, or if you have a close group of friends, um, and that, that kind of thing. And it was just so cute. And I was just wanting to know if you knew anything about that.
0: Yeah, Angelina, we can talk a little bit about it. Um, you know, where in Arkansas were you? You wouldn't happen to be in the northeast part of Arkansas?
5: Uh Northwest.
0: Northwest. Because I have family in southeast and southwest Missouri that also say UNs. And I agree with exactly oh, okay. what you said. Um, that part of Missouri shares a lot of language features with northern Arkansas. They mean you and yours, you and your kin. Or when I'm talking to you, I mean the you plural and all the people you think of that belong to you or that you consider yourself, you know, of the same group. Um, right. and, and you you can trace this back to some dialect features in the British Isles, and then it came over, and you find it really, really heavily used in western Pennsylvania, but it also shows up in Ohio, the Ohio River Valley, Kentucky, North Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, speckles here and there throughout the south, and it's kind of like this interesting arc that even after it leaves the Ohio River Valley, you can kind of draw a line kind of towards the southwest United States through Texas, and more or less the... The places that have tended to say this follow this line, which may reflect the old immigration patterns when people were coming west. It goes back to at least the early 1800s in the the United States, and it's directly related to all of our Pennsylvania listeners are going to love this. (laughs) It's directly related to the yins. They tend to spell it in Pennsylvania as Y-I-N-S, yins, but it's, it's the same thing, just a slightly different pronunciation and a different spelling.
5: Oh, I wouldn't even probably know what they were saying if they said it that way.
0: Even through context, yes. even if say right. Yins want to come over for some, some pie, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
5: through the context, oh, I right.
0: would. Yeah, and uh, and a and a variant of not a variant, but like a, a matching word to keep in mind is Wians, and it's far mm-hmm. less common, but it, it it had been for a while that people would say Wians going to the store now meaning it's the same kind of use of that pronoun with the uns attached to it, Uh meaning ones. Well,
5: that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. I thought it was a really adorable word that the (laughs) old ladies would
0: use. I love that response (laughs) that you have to something new in the language. I love it when somebody says, it's adorable, I love it, I need to find out more, because that is what Martha and I try to do as well. So, cool for you.
5: Nice. Well, I
1: love it.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Angelina.
1: Thanks, Angelina.
0: Cool for you. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye we right. Well, call Grant and me to share your language stories, 877-929-9673, or send him an email to words at waywardradio.org.
0: English, one language, many voices. Share your stories as Away With Words continues.
1: You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Martha Barnett.
0: And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined on the line by John Chinesky from New York. Hi, John. Hey, John. Hi,
6: guys. How you doing? Well, today we're going to talk like serpents. We're going to work on our sibilants okay. with phrases that take the form something and something, where the first and last words begin with S. Now, this should be easy for all you parcel tongues out there. Okay. <laughs> Is my parcel nerd tongues. reference. All right. all right. For example, if I asked what 1970s sitcom had a theme song by Quincy Jones called The Street Beater, it went like this Sanford and Son. <laughs> That's right, Sanford and Son, based on an English show called Steptoe and Son. That's right. So both oh, I both didn't of know those that. are both oh, good, good shows. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, great. So now you go got the SNS. We're going to do SNS today. Here's how it goes. Here we go. This phrase, which is also the title of a Johnny Winter album, a White Snake album, and a Canadian hair metal band, and a few movies, refers to the moral extremes of the Catholic life. People who are really good and people who are really not good. Saints, Saints and sinners. sinners. Saints and sinners is correct. Get those. Not right that out I know there. anything about that music. It was the, White snake. It it was was the, the White snake <laughs> that did it for me. It White was snake the White Snake <laughs> did <it for> <laughs> <you>? <laughs> yeah, that did it for you. You never know what it is. Yeah, the ca- <laughs> Catholic. Here's the next one. This company's first publishing venture was the first ever book of crossword puzzles, which jump-started the crossword craze of the 1920s and made them the phenomenon they are today. Simon, Simon and, and Schuster? Schuster. Simon and Schuster, that's right. The book actually came with a pencil attached. Back then, that was a huge gimmick. Huge. It is the principal subject of the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution. Search and seizure. Search and seizure is correct. Right. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, effects, etc., against unreasonable search and seizure. Very good. It is the first published work by Jane Austen and the only one that fits the theme of this puzzle. Sense and sensibility. Sense and sensibility. sensibility. Very good. This phrase describes a common and convenient way for men to differentiate the teams when playing an informal game of basketball. Skins <laughs> shirts, and and shirts and skins. <laughs> right. Either way is fine. Shirts and skins. Skins and shirts. The title of his 1962 album of standards by Old Blue Eyes would seem to suggest that it features the chairman of the board himself accompanied by just one section of the orchestra. Sinatra, Sinatra and, and strings? strings. Yes. Sinatra and Strings. A 1974 hit song by singer, songwriter, and comedian Jim Stafford, this tune told the tale of a boy whose girl needed to remind him that she likes neither arachnids nor legless reptiles. What do you got, Martha? Booey boo Um,
1: Spiders and snakes.
6: (laughs) Spiders and snakes. I don't like spiders and snakes. Very good. Finally, it's a genre of fiction which would include the chronicles of Conan the Barbarian and features both arms and magic. Arms and Magic, yes. Conan the Barbarian, Swords and Sorcery. Yes, Swords and Sorcery is correct. Very good. Well, that was very short and sweet. Yeah, did that was a good one. I was waiting for well. Simon
0: and Simon to come up. You know that show that was set here in San I Diego? Was, yeah. No, I love hold, that show. Holding oh, yeah, that yes, one in San Diego.
6: <laughs> Yeah. Maybe for next time.
1: John, thank you so Thanks, much. So much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you,
6: guys. See you later.
0: This is a show about language. Give us a call, 877 or email us, words at waywardradio.org.
1: Grant, do you know the expression, go lemony at?
0: Go lemony at?
1: Yeah, he went lemony. No, like as in
0: lemony snickets?
1: Sort of. No,
0: I don't know that at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a bit of Aussie slang that means to lose one's temper or get irritated. Go lemony at. Yeah, he went lemony at me. Sort of like being salty. Salty. These days. I hear that a lot Mm -hmm. from college kids, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning the same thing, irritable, irritated, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, salty. What new slang have you picked up? Call us, 877-929-9673, or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi,
7: this is Lynn. I'm calling from Tallahassee, Florida.
1: Great to have you, Lynn. What's up?
7: Okay, so I know how you guys usually help out some relationships when it comes to arguments over particular words.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, us- and, usually. Um, I
7: need you guys to settle an argument.
0: <laughs> okay. Let's hear it.
7: Okay, so basically, what this all comes down to is whenever my boyfriend and I start debating something and then it turns into an argument, uh, we stop and we either let it go or we bring in a third party. And right now, for the past five years, he will not let this particular instance go.
3: Oh boy,
1: no pressure there.
7: He's adamant that I am using words incorrectly and that I need to change my position, so I'm hoping you guys can help.
1: Okay. Oh, five years.
7: Five years. Um, and part of it is I'm pretty sure I'm doing it just to torment him now. <laughs> right. But it, it comes down to the difference between a couple and a few.
0: A couple and a few?
7: I, I use them interchangeably. Give me a few napkins or give me a few moments or give me a couple of straws. And, and he hates that. Hates it because he's convinced a couple is always two. And a few is always three to four.
0: Okay. Um, okay. Mm. <laughs> How long-
7: <laughs> I know. It seems kind of silly, but he he just when I say give me a couple and he gave me two and I need more, he told me that I was not being precise in my language.
1: Ah, oh, I see. Ah, and what's your position mm-hmm. then?
7: I grew up using them interchangeably. I don't see a big deal, especially when I found a dictionary. That said not only are they synonyms, but it actually said one of the definitions of a couple was a
1: few, and he didn't like that. Ah.
0: So he's going to argue with the dictionary.
1: Right. Or bring out a different dictionary. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Dueling dictionaries.
7: Interestingly enough, I, I've mentioned this at work, and it's created an interesting dynamic with my coworkers, too, because some are definitely on his side and some are definitely on my side, and I'm thinking... Is this a regional thing? Is this just how we were all brought up or even our generation? But it's interesting. It has caused some interesting discussions.
0: Yeah, you're going you're to get that, particularly when you interrogate somebody directly about their own language use. They usually really honestly don't have any real idea how they speak and what they say. They're kind of like, (laughs) they're using their own judgment for the moment and trying to come up with the best possible version of themselves. Any field worker in linguistics will tell you, if you directly interrogate people about their language use, you're not going to get very good results back. So you always have to go it indirectly, which is why lexicographers and dictionary editors look at written text that wasn't written to be examined for linguistic cues, right? We look at books and and, uh, we look at novels and newspapers and transcripts of things that people are writing on Facebook and wherever, and we use that text to say... This is unguarded speech that they did not know that we were going to look at. This is their true selves. This is how they really speak. So that's, I suspect, is what's happening with your significant other, is that he is not fully aware of his own patterns as well. But let's set that aside for a second. Here's what the New Oxford American Dictionary says about couple. It's second entry. It's first entry is for two or a pair, right? It says an indefinite small number, okay? An indefinite small oh. number. And this isn't the only word that we do this. I'll be there in two seconds. Well, is it actually two seconds? No. It only take five minutes. Come over, we'll do this together. It's like, is it actually five minutes? No, it isn't. Oh, it's just a 20 minute drive away. Like, every, there's this old joke in a lot of cities across America that everything is just 20 minutes away because it's kind of the generic sound, number we use. It sounds specific, but it's actually not. It's so very the, imprecise. So,
1: the bottom line is that couple can mean more than one thing. Lynn and her partner are not a few. They're a couple.
0: Right, right. Well, the, the one of the jokes about this is that if, if few always meant three, then we'd only have three Marines in the U.S. Marine
3: Corps. Oh, good
7: point. <laughs> good. I like that argument.
0: <laughs> and where you find that border between couple and few is really contextual. And I, you know, we often say this on the show: words do not exist alone. They keep company, and you examine them according to the company they keep. To merely look at the couple alone without a larger body of text is a mistake and and and, and just really not gonna give you the results that you want. So couple is used vaguely and imprecisely all over the place. And few is already vague and imprecise, right? Is it three or is it four? Can I go up to five? Can few be two? And you will get occasions where it turns out to the two. And here's the other thing. I'm sorry. I'm really excited about this, Lynn. Here's the last thing I want to say. <laughs> I like
7: it. No, this is good.
0: So when somebody says, give me a few napkins, nobody involved knows exactly how many napkins they're going to give back to you. And it's not that they, they carefully counted and said, here's three napkins. You just kind of grab a little bit off the top mm-hmm. and you give it to the other person. This is all to say, Lynn, your boyfriend <laughs> needs to stop arguing about this because he's firmly wrong. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if he, Lynn
3: is high-fiving herself right now.
0: If he wants to be right about this, he should only ever use the number two, the number three, and the number four, and stop using those two words altogether, because he is he's a minority by like a hundred million to one.
1: Wow, that's great. <laughs> Lynn, so now what will you torment him with?
7: Well, first of all, I'm going to probably torment him this for a while because he, he did ask me if you guys were going to call him and get his side of the story. And I told him that's not how it works. <laughs> um,
0: Sometimes so we that's, do.
7: That's going to be the first thing I torment him with.
0: <laughs> if he wants to send us his point of view, if he disagrees, with what we, by all means. But but it sounds so to it me-
1: take a couple of minutes. Yeah.
0: It'll take a <laughs> couple of minutes. Yeah. email. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, a, there's another joke that I saw on Metafilter, which is a discussion forum I go to, where somebody says, anytime somebody asks me about couple versus few, I say, I'll get back to you in a couple of minutes. I have a few things I need to finish up first.
1: <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> so, Lynn, I think we're sending you away happy.
7: I, you, you very much are, and um, the next time he is upset with me because I was not precise with my language, I'm going to do exactly what you suggest and say, well, then don't use the word couple or few at all and give me numbers, and that might be the next thing I torment him with. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: how many do you mean? You just said a few. Do you mean three or do you mean four, buddy?
7: Exactly.
1: <laughs> Thank you guys so much, Thank you, Lynn. You don't even
0: know how much I appreciate it. <laughs> Yay, there's a happy woman in Florida. <laughs> I think
1: we do. Okay. Thanks, Lynn. Bye
0: bye.
3: Bye-bye. Bye.
1: <laughs> 877-929-9673. Well, you know, if you want to apologize to somebody for being long-winded, you can always say, sorry, I had to go around my elbow to get to my thumb. Who says that? A lot of people. Really? Google it, yeah.
0: Go around my elbow to get to my thumb. Yeah, Take the yeah. long way around in a story.
1: Right. This came up when we were talking not too long ago about looking for a word for, for the opposite of a shortcut.
0: Oh, okay, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah. So what got, is it again?
1: Uh, I had to go around my elbow to get to my thumb. <laughs>
0: okay, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty can, good
1: have to do with driving or telling a long story.
0: Share your words and language and cool things to say to WeWord on Twitter or call us 877-929-9673. Hello, you have A Way With Words.
8: Hello, this is Anna E. I'm calling from the San Diego area.
0: Welcome to Away Way With Words. Yeah, what can we do for you?
8: Well, um... It's actually something that will get me out of trouble. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a Spanish-speaking household, and so idioms in English always really got away from me. And uh, I remember once I was having this conversation with my mother in Spanish, and uh, she has a temper, and she has her ways and whatnot. And I remember telling her, "Mom, you know you should really um, try not to do that anymore, or you should try to maybe say things a little bit differently or in a different tone." And she just kind of laughed and said, well, and said it in Spanish, well, you know, an old tree does not grow straight anymore, Mm
2: -hmm. and
8: uh, it gets a little bit lost in translation, and it it makes sense, but um, when I said it to her in English, and not directly at her, but I said, oh, mom, I guess it's true, you know, an old dog um, can't learn new tricks, or things like that, she gave me the look of death, and pretty (laughs) much said, I can't believe you just said that, and I kind of tried explaining to her that it's not that offensive in English, but um, she just kind of got a little bit upset with me, and I was wondering if there's a way to say something similar in English without it sounding so offensive. Was it the dog oh. part she
0: didn't like? She didn't like being connected to a dog like that? <laughs> what was it?
8: She doesn't really understand English that much, but she know what that means, mm-hmm. but She didn't like being connected to a dog that way, because in Spanish, when you translate it, it it becomes a feminine word. So it um, it sounded like I was calling her something else. Oh,
1: (laughs) I see. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Oh, dear. So, yeah, that would be a problem, right?
8: Right. Right. Mm. And I said, no, that's not what I meant. But... uh, but the, the harm had been done. Luckily, she she got over it, and I explained it to her. But uh, but yeah, some people do get offended when when I say certain things in English, and, and vice versa when I uh, translate certain idioms into from English to Spanish and Spanish to English.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. So you had to explain to her that it's that it's a pretty much a benign expression in English. Can't teach a right. dog new tricks. Right, hmm. and the only equivalent that I can think of in Spanish um, has to do with with a tree uh, that's twisted, never, never uh, straightening out, or something to that effect. Right? Right. Is right. that the one? Yeah, yeah. We do have in English the expression that goes, "As the twig is bent, so the tree grows," but it's—I oh. would say it's far less common than. Can't teach an old dog mm-hmm. new tricks. <laughs>
0: yeah. There's another Spanish saying that I want to see if you know. I don't know where in the Spanish-speaking world it's spoken, but pardon my Spanish, which is not that great. El loro viejo no aprende a hablar. The old parrot doesn't learn how to speak. Do you know that one?
8: <laughs> I haven't heard it, no, but it does make sense. <laughs> and there's, yeah. a,
0: there's some really ancient ones, too, and actually one of them, I believe, goes back to Latin, which says an old parrot doesn't mind the stick. And what they mean by that is that if you... And another version is the old parrot doesn't pay attention to the strokes of correction meaning which you if you hit a parrot to get it to behave and to do the thing you want it to do, an old parrot doesn't pay attention to you because it's set in its ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, well, it's sort of. I mean, you could take it all the way back to uh, to the Bible and uh, the Book of Jeremiah where they talk about can a leopard change its spots? Mm-hmm.
8: Right, I've heard that one. That mm-hmm. might be a really good one. one and to I use. actually looked that one, looked a few things up, and my mom loves leopards. So when I heard that one, I uh-huh. said, Oh. Mom, listen, I found this one that I might use on you now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So eventually she understood about the dog then. She
8: did, but Mm -hmm. you should have seen the look on her face. (laughs) I thought I was not going to leave that room alive. Yeah.
1: Well, good. We're glad you got it straightened out. (laughs) Anna, thank you you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, we could have given, Anna, a word for somebody who learned something late in life. Oh, yeah? What's useful. that? Opsimath. Oh, Opsimath. Do you know this? I don't know that. O-P-S-I-M-A-T-H. It That's a cool from, word, yeah, Opsimath. Yeah.
0: We welcome calls from everybody. Opsimath's included. 877-929-9673.
1: words, plethora and drastic have something in common. Do you know what it is?
0: Uh, Okay, knowing you. Knowing
1: me. Something related
0: to etymological roots. Nice. And plethora vaguely strikes me as a Greek origin. Yes, yes, yes. The part of it. Yes. um, Drastic probably is Greek through Latin, Mm. guessing. I don't know. I have no idea. Help me. Save me.
1: You're right. You're right. They both come from ancient Greek. Plethora, which means a whole lot of things, Mm -hmm. comes from a Greek word that means to be full. Okay. And uh, drastic comes from a Greek word that means to do or to act or to do. Okay. Now, the thing that they have in common is the fact that plethora and drastic were first used in the English language as medical terms.
0: Oh, interesting. Plethora
1: being an accumulation of fluid engorgement mm-hmm. of blood and drastic referred to a medicine that actually works a drastic yeah. medicine is something that that is efficacious and only later did drastic and the sense of having an effect become mm-hmm. even more intensified having a big effect having a huge effect
0: oh, that's all super interesting but even more interesting to me is how even when i'm wrong you tell me i'm right and then you explain all the ways <laughs> that i'm wrong <laughs> Did I just do that? You always do that. You always say, that's good. That's right, Grant. And then you're like, let me tell you the 100 things you didn't say.
1: I should have been a kindergarten teacher. No, it would have worked great.
0: It's working on me. I feel great because you told me I was awesome and then but you corrected no,
1: me. No, but, but you absolutely are correct.
0: 877-929-9673. Email us words at waywardradio.org.
1: More conversation about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned.
0: You're listening to Away with Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett.
1: And I'm Martha Barnett. I promise some more examples of pet peeves of people from the 19th century that eventually became things that are perfectly acceptable. In English. And this one is from a book called Vulgarisms and Other Errors of Speech from 1869. And it's talking about the use of love instead of like, the the use of the word love Mm -hmm. when when you actually Mm -hmm. just like something. And this writer says, Although the word love may be applied to many things less exalted than those capable of inspiring the passion of love, there are limits. If persons really mean what they say, when they speak of loving oysters, cake, ice cream, etc., it is confessing a deplorable circumstance, which they would do better to keep to themselves.
0: Yeah, right, sure.
1: A deplorable circumstance. But my question
0: for you is, when these guys—and it's almost always old white dudes from the Northeast—when they made these pronouncements— they weren't actually wrong. At the, I mean, those pronouncements were wrong even for the time, right? They were in, in, not in accord with common usage at the time in any case.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, there were women, too, who wrote these books. Right.
0: But, but it's not—I just wanted to go back to what you said at the top, though. Is it, It's not that it's become correct. It's that it's always been correct. Is uh, that somehow they took yeah. a detour and took it upon themselves to perfect an English they saw as broken.
1: Yes, Exactly. Let me give you another example of of another writer talking about love. A man loves his children, his mother, his wife, his mistress, the truth, his country. But some men speak of loving green peas or apple pie, meaning they have a liking for them. I mean, this is just hair splitting, right? right? It's
0: totally hair splitting. It's it's just somebody who... Yeah, well I don't know. I'm just waiting for him to go in. And teenagers today, because it it sounds very well, much like the kind of peeve against the young people that you hear today. Let me give you one more example okay, there we then. Go.
1: Here's another one on that same topic. Still less say of anything which you enjoy at table. I love it. I love melons. I love peaches. I adore grapes. These are schoolgirl utterances. We love our friends. Love is an emotion of the heart. But not of the palate.
0: There we go. Give me this a is break. what we see time and time again. Give that it's that there's classism, elitism, yep. racism, and other isms wrapped up in this notion of correct English. And really, um, they don't I don't even know if they realize that they're manifesting their own prejudices in this way. I don't exactly. really I don't really know. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's pretty funny reading actually. Yeah.
0: Sexism was the other ism, right?
1: Lots of gender-specific
0: complaint mm-hmm. about the speech of other people is is sexism. Indeed. eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three Email words at waywardradio dot
1: org. Hi, you have a way with words.
2: Hi, uh, this is Heather. I'm calling from San Diego.
1: Hey there, Heather. Welcome. Hello. What's up?
2: Well, um, I have quite the debate going with my boyfriend, and I'm I'm hoping you guys can settle the score, so sort to of speak.
3: Oh, good. We well, will um, try.
2: We're trying to determine when it's appropriate to use. The term, like, sister-in-law or brother-in-law versus saying uh, my brother-in-law's wife or my sister-in-law's husband.
0: Okay, this is immediately complicated because the relationship terms are. So (laughs) where—who is your brother-in-law?
2: Okay, let me give you a little context. I don't have any. However, my friend, Summer, um, she's married to a man named Chad.
3: Mm -hmm. Chad
2: has a brother named David. And David is married to Terry. And me and my boyfriend were discussing some of my friends, and he didn't know who Terry was. And I said, oh, it's Summer's sister-in-law. And he's like, but wait, you know, Summer's an only child. That can't be possible. And I said, oh, well, it's Chad's brother's wife. And he said, well, then technically, that's her brother-in-law's wife, not her sister-in-law.
3: Oh,
0: Uh, I see. So let me just (laughs) see if I can get this right. Summer and Chad are married. Chad Mm -hmm. has a brother, David. David is married to a woman named Terry. And Summer said that Terry was her sister-in-law. Yes. Okay.
1: Okay. And who are the different sides of the debate?
2: There's me and my friends and family. Yeah. (laughs) Who agree that, yes, that it might be more correct to say brother-in-law's wife, but nobody actually talks like that, and everybody would think that that's her sister-in-law. And my boyfriend and some of his colleagues say, no, 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 you know, learn the English language that's not correct. <laughs> and it would be brother-in-law's wife.
0: Interesting. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> this is really interesting because you know, both parties are right. We look at common uses across the billions and trillions of words that people use, and that's how we vote. Um, and that's where we get right and wrong when it comes to language. And here's why you're both right. A sister-in-law can be the sister of your spouse— the spouse of your sibling, right, or mm-hmm. the sister of your sister-in-law or your brother-in-law. So it's very
1: complicated here. Right. And, I can, you know, I sometimes confuse people I don't know well because I'm not married and I'll talk about my sister-in-law and, you know, yeah. I'll get a look. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had a more specific term in English for it.
0: The, so, so the clear thing here is, like, sister-in-law isn't just that one relationship. It isn't only the sibling of your spouse, All right, right. A sister-in-law is not just the sister of your spouse, and that's the mistake that your your opponents in this argument are making. They think it's very specific when it's actually broader than that.
2: It's much broader. Yeah, after talking with friends and family, we kind of came to this consensus that it depended on how close you were to the person. For instance, in, the, in this scenario, Summer and Carrie are like best friends. Mm-hmm. So, of course, she would just call her her sister-in-law, where maybe if it was a relative she wasn't very close with or maybe even fond of, she might, you know, take the longer route and refer to her as brother-in-law's wife. Mm. I don't
0: have any data on that, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I could actually see that being true. Now, on the other hand, sister and, um, sister and our brother-in-law's sister is fine, too. Because it's, it's technically correct. It's just not as... It's, it's a more, mouthful. Yeah, it's a mouthful. <laughs> it's more formal, a little less polite, mm-hmm. probably. Probably just not getting the force of the relationship across. Um, you can say co-sibling-in-law, which kind of covers the bases as well. Oh,
1: wow. But co-sibling-in-law. That's, that's, now, that's, that sounds formal or uh, But I have a, my final up.
0: word for you that you could just, just to clarify all this, is the more generic term for these people that you're related to by marriage but not blood. And these are your your affines, Affines.
2: A fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Affines. Wow, I have
2: so, never heard that word. I again. know,
0: right? <laughs> it's pretty well, common. <laughs> yes, this is our job. We bring new things to the light.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm writing this down. Yeah. But in,
0: but in general, Heather, I think you're totally fine. You're more right than they are. I think, but they had one particular point which I thought that they were being um, incorrect about, which is they're being overly right. specific.
1: Cool.
0: Okay. Okay, Let Heather, take goes. that back
1: to the clan. If you
0: need us a place to stay when they kick you out, call yeah. Martha.
1: <laughs> you can stay <laughs> Thank with me. You so much. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. <laughs> All right, bye-bye, Heather. Cheers. Let us know what you think, 877-929-9673. Hi, you have a way with words.
9: Hi, this is Perry from Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
1: Hi, Perry, welcome. What's Hi, up?
9: How are you doing? What can we help with? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be on the show. Um, oh, yeah. The question I have is about the phrase, no tea, no shade. Um, This is a phrase that I know from uh, shows like RuPaul's Drag Race or from the drag queen community. Um, And what I understand it to mean is it's something you say right before you're going to tell it like it is, but you mean no offense. And I've heard it, or I've read it spelled either with the letter T, like a capital T, or as uh, like drinking tea, like T-E-A. And I'm pretty sure it's related to other phrases like spill the tea or Um, throwing shade, uh, but I just wanted to get y'all's opinion or uh, y'all's experience in where this phrase comes from, the origins and uh, when and where, that sort of thing.
0: No tea, no shade, right? Yeah. No tea, no shade. And so if I were going to say something in the context of the show, they didn't pull off the dress that they were wearing, I'd be like, no tea, no shade, but I got to tell you that gown is all wrong for you, right? Right, exactly. Okay. It's definitely popularized by RuPaul's Drag Race, and as a matter of fact, they have a really decent entry on it on RuPaul's website. They have a whole lexicon of all the drag terms and, and all some of this stuff going back decades, well before even RuPaul was born. Really interesting stuff. And they do have a definition for this. It pretty much conforms to what you're saying. The spelling is variable, but what's interesting is, although it's usually spelled T-E-A, it's actually supposed to be just the letter T or spelled T-E-E because it's an abbreviation of truth, and what's oh, okay. funnier still to me about that is that originally when it was used, if you find the very earliest uses online, they'd say all tea, no shade. What they meant is I'm going to tell you totally the truth, but I'm not throwing shade at you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or to diss you. And it, somehow along the way, it just switched to no tea, no shade, even though you are actually giving all truth still. Um, on the website, however, they make one they say one thing that's not quite true. They say it was coined on in season five, which would be 2013 by one of the performers. Mm-hmm. And actually the term is at least five years older than that. Yeah. Um, and I think it may actually da- predate RuPaul's show. So mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting to me. So that the shade itself though, throwing shade has had something of a vogue in the last say eight to nine years, maybe 10 years even. And when I last looked at this, I did a, I did an entry for my double tongued dictionary. I was able to trace it back to the 1920s when to shade somebody meant something very similar, which would be to defeat or to outdo or to best someone. And then uh, we start to see it transition. It's very heavily used in the African-American community. And by the 1980s and 1990s, shade and throwing shade starts to show up in the drag scene. Um, And also it pops up in this whole voguing craze. If you remember Madonna and voguing, all that, she kind of... She kind of rode on top of a trend that was already taking place. And then here we are in 2016 with shade still being a thing that you can throw, but it's definitely left the drag community and it's definitely left the African-American community.
9: And do you know how it came to transform into TEA?
0: <laughs> um, because people weren't sure. They only oh. heard it and didn't yeah, see it. It wasn't written And they, and they did their best guess. Oh, okay.
9: Great. Well, thank you for all that information.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Perry, thanks for calling.
0: Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: 877-929-9673 is the number to call to share your stories about language, or you can send them to words at waywardradio.org. I was watching, as I am wont to do sometimes, uh, a video of people in Appalachia talking. Okay, okay talking about the way they talk. I love watching these things on YouTube. And I came across an expression that I really liked. Uh, I'd sooner be in hell with my back broke.
0: (laughs) Oh, that means like... Instead of doing whatever is on yeah. uh, being offered, you just yeah. like, give me the worst possible situation. Yeah,
1: and what I love about it is is the way they intensify it. It's not just I'd sooner be in hell. It's I'd sooner be in hell with my back broke.
0: With my it, back broke, and yeah. it's got a nice sound. It's almost poetry.
1: I know, I know. And sooner if you, you Google in hell it, with my
0: back broke.
1: It googles pretty well. Oh, people, plenty of people say that. Okay. I'd sooner be in hell with my back broke.
0: Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Hello, you have a way with words.
1: Hi. Oh,
10: this is March, calling from Stagecoach, Nevada. Very cool.
1: Well, what's on your mind today?
10: Uh, Actually, um, I was listening to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me uh, a couple of weeks ago, like I usually do, and they were talking about a word in German, and they swore it was true, and I just wanted to find out if it is true. Um, The word is Witzelsuch. Now, I'm not quite sure how to spell it, Would probably be W-I-T-Z-E-L, and after the F, I'm kind of lost. I'm not sure how to spell it. But anyway, it's a person that has the habit of constantly making puns, and uh, I'm really interested in puns. I always have been. In fact, I told, told people Bennett Surf was my patron
0: saint. Oh, so. uh, Okay. <laughs> So yeah. the word is Witzelzugt. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, Marge, it is a word, and it's uh, W-I-T-Z-E-L-S-U-C-H-T, Witzelzugt. Peter oh, Sagel, we have okay. your back.
10: All right. Yes. Well... I'm only half German, so I only
3: got half of it right. So, <laughs> oh, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah. actually, yeah. the thing about this word is that um, people get all excited when they hear that this word exists, and they think, "Oh, this is for people who aren't pun control advocates." Ha ha ha! But, <laughs> but actually, actually, it's it refers to a very serious problem um, with uh, brain dysfunction in the frontal lobe. It's it's actually a medical condition, and you don't. Oh. Yeah, you don't hear much about it because it's it's pretty rare. But um, neurologists see folks with Witzelzucht hooked um, a few times a year. Some of them have reported that, and it has to do with a problem in your frontal lobe, and you can't stop making puns, or you can't stop making bad jokes, and uh, you can't respond to the jokes of others. I mean, it's really sort of a perception problem.
0: Yeah, one of the one of the medical oh. dictionaries that I read. Um, said something about um, they're unable to su- suppress unacceptable responses, which to me describes um. most puns as an unacceptable response.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the term itself, witzelsucht, might be translated as joke addiction or something. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it's a serious problem if, if, say, you're married to somebody who wakes you up every hour on the hour to tell you a bad oh, joke. No. I mean, that, that uh, actually happens. How long would that marriage last? <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: terrible. I mean,
1: seriously, doctors say that if you have somebody in your family who suddenly starts making a whole lot of jokes? Like suddenly, like oh, it's really? not their ordinary kind of behavior. So
0: something going on with the frontal lobe.
1: Yeah, so, maybe a stroke or so lobe uh, lobe an injury is or like a tumor. The,
0: the behavior governor, right? The frontal lobe, the, the right, right side. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes.
10: Yeah, I, well, that's really interesting. Yeah, I had no idea it was a medical condition. Mm-hmm. I just figured it was something that they called people that. You know, annoy the heck out of you with dumb jokes. You know, I mean, I have a friend like that too. Ah, so. uh, you're calling for a
1: friend, as they say. Is that right?
10: Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, I'm not. No, I, it, 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 it's it's true. It's just he has terrible jokes, but uh, he can control himself when he's trying to impress somebody. It's only when he's around his close friends that he does that. Just to annoy him. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, could, I can't tell you, Marge, the number of puns that I repress. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy to be me. Marge, thank you so much for
0: your call and telling us everything. All right. We really appreciate it.
10: Okay, thank
1: you so much. Cheers. And, re- and keep up the good work. All right, thank you so much. I love That's your show. Really oh, okay. Thank right. you, Marge. Take
0: care. Take care. Now. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Or join our community and our Facebook group.
1: You may have heard about this new book by Dan Lyons called Disrupted. It's subtitled My Misadventure in the Startup Bubble.
0: Yeah, I read a couple of the articles that he wrote based upon the book. And actually Ah, I might have read the articles that preceded the book.
1: Okay. Okay, well then maybe you know about uh, what he reports about language in terms of the term graduated
0: Um, in a startup. Graduate. I don't know exactly what that is in a startup.
1: He says that in the startup where he worked, when someone gets quit or gets fired, the event is referred to as graduation. So you might get an email that says, team, just letting you know that Derek has graduated.
0: Oh, no. And
1: then then you go out into the open office space and you don't see Derek or his stuff anymore. Is that
0: jocular slang or is that like business jargon gone awry?
1: I don't. It's hard know. to know, right? I don't know. Dan, for people who haven't read the book, is a guy in his fifties who mm-hmm. worked at a startup for, for several months with lots
0: of young people, where he was yeah. by far and away the oldest person there, right? right? And right. so he brought his skills with him, but there was a lot of culture shock. Part of it was age difference.
1: Yes, yes. And another term that uh, he picked up there was deletion.
0: Delation? What's
3: that?
1: It's a made-up term that they used in that uh, company to refer to pleasing customers, delighting customers. Uh, okay. And I have heard that from people delightion. in the tech world that uh, we're designing for delight and delight this and delight but that. Delation is a delightion. word. That's a new to me. It is now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> 877-929-9673. Want more away with words?